In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's great to see you and great to be back at All Souls for my wonderful annual, wonderful to me, annual visit. I'm, I'm wondering if you all are going to continue to think it's a good idea. Uh, Father Austin comes into town, it turns rainy, then it's going to get cold, and then when he leaves, it'll warm up. But I'm glad to see you here. I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I think a lot about how people really want to know more about friendship. Most of the people you run into in your life and, uh, are people who would be interested in knowing more about friendship, either to have more friends or to have better friendships than they do. Friendship is a topic, at least I, in my experience, that people find intrinsically interesting. Human beings are just interested in this. Uh, but at the same time, we are full of a whole lot of confusion about it. Um, when a couple is breaking up, they might say, well, can't we just be friends? That sounds like friendship is you know, not quite the best thing. Um, or uh, friendship has been used to harm our souls. Uh, this comes through social media, where the word friend, turned into a verb, is, relates to you, know, you friend somebody on Facebook. You, the, the insidious uh, thing that's been seeping in for the last couple of decades is that to be a, a, to be a happy person, you need to have scads of friends. So friends becomes a sort of promiscuous concept. It's just everywhere, friends everywhere. Uh, and of course, not very deep. And the anxiety increases. And then there's... Um, uh, the, the, the spouse who says, uh, I've married my best friend. Now that is a very high view, marriage, friendship. And then there is the sort of non-marriage, but marriage-like relationship of boyfriend and girlfriend, where the word used is friend. Um, so it's, it's, you know, the, friend, the word is used a whole bunch of different ways. What friendship is, is full of confusion in the world. Christianity has a rather clear teaching about friend, what friendship is. Um, with friendship with other people, one thing the church has said from the beginning is that marriage is a kind of friendship. Marriage is one form that friendship can take. Uh, the, uh, it, the spouses are friends with each other. This was an innovation. It's there in the early church, but it's an innovation. It comes from Jesus, basically Jesus' treatment of women the way Jesus treated all people, so that pagans thought a man and a woman could not be friends because it just wasn't possible. Um, Christianity said, no, it is, and one of the forms, then marriage. So marriage is interpreted, and friendship is the eternal aspect of marriage. We also understand friendship as an intimate sharing uh, that comes from the heart. It's a willingness um, this heartfelt sharing goes with a willingness 
to give yourself sacrificially for your friend. This is from John 15, when Jesus says, Greater love hath no man than he lay down his life for his friends. And he's about to lay down his life for his friends on the next day. John 15 is at the Last Supper. On the cross, Jesus lays down his life for his friends. The Last Supper, he went right on to say, you are my friends. The reason they are his friends is because he has showed them, revealed to them, shared with them everything that God the Father gave to him. So this intimate sharing from the heart, this opening of the mind one to another so that friends can know each other, as it were, from the inside out. This is what Jesus offered to the disciples. He has that already been able to see into the heart. So he had that with the disciples. Uh, but they, uh, he, he shares himself so that even though he's going to die, he says, you are my friends. Uh, there's nothing I have held back. So this is, uh, so marriage is, is, uh, is a kind of friendship, and friendship is this intimate sharing, uh, which is will, uh, willing to be sacrificial. And then the third thing, just to point out, is that friendship is not does not involve sexual intimacy. Friendship per se. Uh, that's why marriage is not actually a, a really good picture of friendship. Although it can be a really great instance of friendship, it doesn't show this intimacy that's not sexual. So today's gospel, Jesus says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What he's doing when he says that, and it's part of his summarizing the law, is that to to do this kind of love, what he's saying is what we need to do is something like making your neighbor your friend. To love your neighbor as yourself is something like being willing to make your neighbor your friend. We see this in the story in Luke, which follows right after Jesus saying, in Luke's gospel, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan, uh, he's asked, you know, the person who was questioning him in Luke, after Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, like to justify himself, the guy who's asking the question, says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story, and at the end of the story of the Good Samaritan, he doesn't say, well, which one was the neighbor there? He says, which one proved himself a neighbor? Which of the characters in that story made himself into a neighbor to the man on the side of the road? The answer is, of course, the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan. So from the question of trying to figure out who my neighbor is, Jesus turns it into becoming a neighbor. And what it is to become a neighbor, what the Good Samaritan exemplifies, is making an, another person into your friend. He, um, he takes, you know, he, he, takes he, he turns, he sees him, he goes to him, he offers healing, he binds um, up his wounds, he carries him, puts him on his donkey, takes him to a place to stay, sets him up at the innkeeper, promises to pay whatever the bill is. So he, they weren't friends, they just met on the road, but he made the name, he did the actions that a friend would do for a friend. 
So he treated this, this other man as a would-be friend, and he himself is a would-be friend. So uh, friendship is there in our understanding of how we relate to one another, this loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, the big picture of all this, though, is not friendship of humans with one another, but friendship with God. That is our fundamental friendship, the one we have with God. Friendship with God is the most important thing about you, and it's the foundation of everything else. But it's also a very strange thing. Um, how do you see God? How do you tell a difference between see, God is my friend and the imaginary friend that a seven-year-old might have? How do we know this is a real friend? And to do that requires a little work through the Bible. We think, because we're good Christians and we've heard heard said since we were little children, God is love. We would think that love is there from the very beginning of the Bible. I heard sermons preached. God created the world out of love. But if you look at the book of Genesis, love is not there. The word, anyway, is not there. Genesis chapter 1, God created all that stuff. It never says because he loved it. And it never says after he created it, he did love it. Love's just a relationship of that sort with what he's made is not stated. It's not there in chapters two, three, and four, and five. Get to the flood, there's no love mentioned there. Get on beyond the flood to the Tower of Babel, no love. God then decides, because things are getting bad again, he decides to have a problem. Uh, to, to have a, 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 they get a promised land to have a chosen people he decides to have a special people that he will create as a sign to the world uh, and so he calls Abraham love is not there first time we find the word love is in Abraham is in Genesis 22 when God says to Abraham uh, your son your only son Isaac, whom you love. The word Isaac is identified as the beloved son of Abraham, and he's to be sacrificed. He survives the event, as you probably recall, and he um, gets a wife. Her name is Rebecca, and we are told that he loved her. That's the... uh, time of a man and woman is spoken of as love. Isaac takes Rebecca, and they have two children, twins, Esau and Jacob. Esau is slightly older, and the text says, Isaac loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. And Genesis continues, love, which was late to appear, uh, continues as something problematic. Jacob, when he goes off to get a wife, and with two, Leah and Rachel, he wanted to marry Rachel, remember the switcheroo, so he ends up with two. Um, he loves Rachel, he doesn't love Leah, 
This causes intrafamilial discord. Surprise? When people say, you know, the Bible is full of all these characters who do bad things, like they have multiple wives, it seems to me they haven't really read the Bible, because I don't see Genesis 25 and following as saying that this is a good idea. <laughs> Jacob has 12 sons. He also has a daughter named Dinah. Dinah catches the eye of Shechem, who's an outsider, not far outside, but a kind of peripheral character to the biblical, to the chosen people. His love of Dinah threatens Israel's integrity and leads to violence. Jacob loves his son Joseph over the other sons, and that precipitates their jealousy. You feel like you're reading a soap opera, this sort of stuff, but, you know, it just keeps going on this way. The book of Genesis, hesitant to speak of love, knows love only as something between humans, and it's a source of strife or a sign of blindness. Nowhere in Genesis is love connected with God. Listen to odd thing. And it continues in Exodus, in Leviticus. Leviticus gives us love your neighbor as yourself, but not God. Numbers. It's only in the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, that we get a connection with God. Now, why is this? Um, in, in one sense, this is not surprising. Uh, the, uh, the relation of a creator to a creature is something like the relation of an author to a character. In some of our prayers, we refer to God as the author of our being. God is, God is the one who authors us. We are, as it were, characters that he has created. And authors, this is the report, authors often fall in love in a certain sense with their characters. They might dream about them. They might have a sense that these characters are having a life of their own. Or the story is unfolding in ways the author didn't meet initially imagine it would, that kind of thing, they say. But they never say that the characters love them back. Insofar as the word love is used at all, it's kind of uh, derivative, and it is only toward characters. You cannot ask a character to love the author. It just wouldn't make any sense. Tell Harry Potter to love J.K. Rowling. Potter's going to say, who? And his uncle makes it, well, she's the one who's writing the story that you're in. Huh? So that's kind of, God's creator, we're creature. Why should there be any relation between the two? If God wants to love us, God has to make it possible. And he has to make it possible, yeah. Not only, and he, made, he loves us, and then he has to make it possible for us to love him in return. He can't, real love, like real friendship, is going to be reciprocal. So if God's going to love us, he has to make it possible for us to love him in return. How do you do that? How does God make it possible for us to love him? He does it by, in a way, lifting us up so that we're on a kind of a parallel platform with him. 
He, and on that platform, he's able to speak to us. And speaking to someone is a way of giving them a chance to speak back to you. So now we can go back and look at Genesis. And we see that from the beginning, chapter 3, God is speaking to people. God speaks to Abraham. He speaks a lot to Abraham. And Abraham learns to speak back to God. The famous thing about, will you destroy the city if there are 50 righteous? 45? How about 40? And has that conversation with God. Uh, so they're almost like just two, uh, two people who trust each other, talking to one another. Elsewhere in the Bible, Abraham is called the friend of God, both in the Old Testament later and in the New Testament. Abraham is referred to as God's friend. Why is he God's friend? God talked to him. And he was able, he learned how to talk to God. So this is the wonderful truth that underlies Deuteronomy, which is today's gospel. When Jesus is asked, what's the great commandment? He quotes Deuteronomy. This is chapter 6. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, etc. We don't need to uh, parse exactly the difference between heart and mind and that sort of thing. But the point is to love God completely. The commandment is, is in effect to love God the way you would love your friend. A very good friend. Nothing in your heart, nothing in your soul, nothing in your mind, nothing in your capacity would you hold back from God. Love God with all that. Moses is telling this to them. After 40 years in the wilderness, they're about to enter the promised land. They need to realize they have been given this special relationship with God. Now, they have that special relationship. Moses also wants them to know, not because they were powerful, not because they were like a really good catch for God. You know, wow, God got you instead of the Assyrians. If you were looking around the world, uh, what are we talking about? Two thousand BC, whenever Abraham is, you wouldn't pick out Abraham and his tribe as being a really good catch. That's what Moses is, he tells them. You know, God chose you why? Because He loved thy fathers. Deuteronomy four. God chose His people. God. God has this relationship with the just the chosen people exists because God loved their ancestors, starting with Abraham. So, so we, from Deuteronomy, we look back and we see that love is there. Love is there whenever God is speaking to people and when God is forming this special people to be his, he's doing that because he loves them. But that love, to be complete, needs to be returned. Therefore, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. It's a sort of climax of the first five books of the Bible. God loves the people he has chosen. He shows mercy to them who love him in return. And the love of God is finally identified 
totally, totally intimate way. Now, of course, this is all um, consummated, as it were, in Jesus himself. So when Jesus is looking back over the whole Old Testament, he interprets it in terms of. But the love that he interprets it in terms of within that story is identified with the making of friends, one with another, loving your neighbor as yourself, loving the, your neighbor as if your neighbor were your friend, treating your neighbor as you would treat a friend. So building of human friendships within the greater context of God speaking to us, God calling us, God loving us. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And if I may say, on these two friendships hang our entire being. There is nothing more important for us to do in our life than to practice these, to love them, grow in. God is giving that to each of us and may he give it to us more and more. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.